Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. It is said that Michelangelo could see what others could not see when they would look at a huge block of marble. They would look at the veins of the marble and they would look at the structure of the marble. But what others couldn't see, Michelangelo could see. He could see David. He could see Moses hidden in the marble. And then he would begin to sculpt what he saw. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what God does with you and you and I, that he sees not only what you can't see, but what society can't see. And he wants in a very powerful, but different way to bring out the real you. We begin in verse one of chapter two, where Paul actually takes us in the direction that you and I tend to not want to go, which is in the direction of death. Verse one, he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So Paul begins here with what I call the living dead. I don't know if any of you can remember the Sergeant Pepper's album that the Beatles put out where they're all standing around this dressed as this band Sergeant Pepper. And they're looking at a grave that has the Beatles on it. And if you could picture yourself looking at a grave that has your name on it, it's an important thing to consider. My son once wrote a lyric It's better to die before you die. And that is what Paul is describing here. The idea that you and I before Christ lived in a sense of death. You might call it the living dead. You'll notice in this passage, he uses the idea that you were dead. Then he says in verse two, in which you used to live. So Two words that are antonyms, death and living. We lived, Paul says, in death. So as for you, that was fact. It is so imperative that we grab a hold of this because the Bible is really not a book about uh, self-improvement of you and I just picking off little pieces of, of ourselves and making ourselves just a little bit better. We can do that. And thank God for certain sec- books that are in the self-help section, help us to not be quite so angry, help us to have a little better form of communi- communication, a little better sense of understanding others and so forth. But ultimately the question is, how do I change your heart? How does God change my heart? And that cannot be self-improvement. It's recognizing that before Christ, I was actually dead. 
Now, he doesn't mean that you weren't an amazing athlete. It doesn't mean that you weren't a, a person with a great mind and you were a great scholar or a great personality like a cheerleader or a great jazz musician. All of those things are part of what it means to be a human. But I think to understand this passage, if you jump two chapters forward to chapter four, verse 18, it gives us a great commentary on this verse. It says there, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their, their hearts. So we are dead from our highest calling of what it means to be a human. What Genesis chapter one, verse 26, 26 calls the Imago Dei, the image of God, that we are fallen and dead from that. So we're blind from God's glory. We're deaf to his voice. Uh, we don't have love for the person who's the source of love, God himself. There's no leaping in my spirit when I hear the name Jesus or God. We're like unresponsive corpses until we meet Jesus. So Paul talks about the two ways that we are specifically dead and how we are dead. He says we are dead in our transgressions. Transgression is a trespass, trespassing over boundaries, these would be moral and spiritual boundaries that we should not be trespassing over. And then he uses the word sin, which is missing the mark or failing to be who we're called to be. So with these two terms, sins and transgressions, together we face failures and rebellion. Rebellion is the active part of sin. Failure is the passive part of sin. What you might call the sins of commission and the sins of omission. When I pray the Lord's prayer, which I do every day, forgive me of my sins as I forgive others of their sins. I am overwhelmed when I think of the potential of how many sins there must be that I've committed through omission. I just dumb enough. I'm Mr. Magoo. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. And I stumbled through life, missing opportunities to love. Those would be sins of omission. That's, but that's the word harmatia, the word sin to miss the mark. But then a transgression is an act of rebellion. I'm just going to be mean. I'm just going to lie. I'm just going to be greedy. I'm just going to cross this line. So together, Paul says, we walked around in this life, the land of the living dead. Picture zombies walking around. Now, we wouldn't see ourselves as zombies. Maybe the angels do see the human race as zombies. Now, how or what are the ingredients of this living death? He gives us three things. First of all, there's the world. He says, when you followed the ways of the world, the world is a dehumanizing 
uh, cultural system that we live in. Then the second ingredient is the devil, which he calls the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he's imagining this spiritual atmosphere that's controlled in this world by the devil. Uh, the, the idea of a personal devil is not popular today. Um, if you would speak of that in a cafe to someone, they would perhaps mock you. Uh, but the Bible is firm about this. Hasatan, which is the Hebrew, and both the Hebrew Satan or the, the Greek, the devil, they both mean the adversary. So he is the personal being and his uh, emissaries that are actually against the goodness and the love of God in what they introduce into our world. And then the flesh, and that has to do with me. All of us, he says, lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Isn't that a great word, cravings? Now, be careful here when he talks about the flesh, because I think the NIV is correct here in translating it uh, sinful nature, because too often we associate anything that's physical as being the flesh. And so we, we feel bad about the fact that I bought some new clothes for myself, or we feel bad about the fact that we put a swimming pool into our backyard because it's, it's, it's something my physical being wants to do. We shouldn't be that way. The, the Greeks often thought that way, but that's not Hebrew thinking. The flesh is not just my body, but it's my mind. And it's my fallen spiritual nature. That's what the flesh is. And Paul sums it up as the cravings that have to do with my thoughts and my desires or my will. So my thoughts, what, what goes into your mind? Paul says it's fallen. It's sinful. So you, you think of your thoughts, your purposes, your, your sensing the impulses, your intelligence, what Paul is saying here is that it's, it's warped. It has a virus. It's, it's, it's off due north. So our thinking is not what it needs to be. Our thoughts are fallen, but then he uses the word thelma, uh, which is the word for will or, or my desires. My will, my heart, as the Hebrews called it, is the weather vane of my being and, and it's pointing always to what I want the most. And we were created to want God that's due North, but in a fallen world, I'm not pointing towards true North. I'm pointing towards these things that I think are going to make me happy, but they're actually distractions to what would ultimately make me happy. Then Paul summarizes this dark beginning about the living dead uh, with kind of a judicial result of all of this. And he calls us objects or children of wrath, which means that we by nature are ultimately destined 
to judgment. And that's a hard one. That's not popular today. We love to talk about justice, but if you hear what someone's talking about, when we use the word justice, we're rarely talking about a courtroom. We're rarely talking about a judge. We're usually talking about someone who needs compassion, someone who's marginalized that we want to help. And that's an important part of justice. But the whole of justice in the Bible includes the idea that someone has to put this world right someday. How does that happen? Well, the good news and the bad news is that there is ultimately judgment. And Paul says that we were destined to be judged. Now, I think grabbing a hold of that truth is an important part of our future and understanding who we are now in Jesus Christ. It wasn't just that I was on a ship that was going uh, to be wrecked against the rocks. I was a part of the mutiny against the loving captain who knew the right way to sail the ship. I was a part of the mutiny and owning that and and realizing that I can't fix myself, but there's someone who loves me and can is a part of my redemption. Earlier this week, as I was meditating on this front end of the passage, I went out into the yard and I just, sometimes what I'll do is memorize the verses and just let them soak deeper and deeper into me. And I began to pick up dead branches that didn't fit into my trash can. And I had the the clippers in one hand and I was clipping dead branches as I recited to myself these verses. As for you, you were dead. Mark, deal with it. There was no way out. That was your situation. Maybe you need to spend a little bit of time thinking through that it's not just that you're, you're kind of bad sometimes, but the rest of it of you is just amazing. But understanding that there's this sin virus that's in all of us that's destined to judgment. There's a great story about this that'll bring a little bit of humor and levity to a very serious subject. Um, These neighbors had a dog and the dog comes home with a rabbit in his mouth. And, And the dog owner realizes this is the neighbor's rabbit, that they have a pet rabbit that's in a cage in their backyard and they freak out and they think, Oh my gosh, our dog killed their rabbit. What are we going to do? And, um, and they decide uh, they don't want the neighbors thinking forever that their dog did it. So they clean the bunny up, they wash the, the dead bunny and, and they sneak over that night and put it back into the cage so that the, the neighbors will think it, died from a natural death. 
Well, the neighbors wake up the next morning, they go in the backyard and they completely freak out because they see the bunny inside the cage. And what had really happened is the bunny had died two days before. Yeah. And now the bunny is back in the cage, only dead. They had buried it. And now it's cleaned up and back in the cage. They freaked out. And I think that's what we do with a lot of the parts of our lives. We keep cleaning ourselves up, trying to make ourselves better rather than realizing, let's just call ourselves sinners who need a savior. Now let's move on to the best part of this passage. So an intervention happens and the intervention comes from the best source possible, a loving sculptor, a loving artist. Verse four, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Thank God there's someone bigger than you fixing yourself up. Two of my favorite words here, but God. So many times Paul sets up this tension and he resolves it with the adversative but introducing the solution, God. And that's what he does here. So instead of ourselves, love actually comes. Mercy triumphs over judgment and he makes us alive. He says in verse five here that we were made alive, which is another contrast to rather than being the living dead now, we have been made alive, but I want you to see something here that you may not notice in the English, but there's three past tenses. They're going to help you to understand it's a done deal. It says that he made us alive in verse five. He raised us up verse six and he made us sit in verse six. So there's three things here. He made us alive meaning when Christ rose from the dead and I put my faith in Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, I have a new identity. I am now raised with Christ. Secondly, I am, I am made alive with Christ in his resurrection. And then I'm actually in advance participating in his ascension. That is, He's made us to sit like Jesus sits at the right hand of the father. And he has made us to sit with him in our new identity. And he reminds us here with this little, almost uh, parentheses at the end of verse five, it is by grace you have been saved. So this is total grace. You couldn't have done it. You couldn't have pulled yourself out of the grave. You couldn't have raised yourself up. You couldn't have seated yourself in heavenly places. This word grace becomes the center for our whole new existence in Christ. It, but there's one more bit of 
grammar that I want to give to you here where he says it is by grace. He uses a particular verb form that is called the perfect tense. And why is it called perfect? I don't know, but it, it actually feels perfect because it's a, it's an action that happened in the past with continuing result in the present. How cool is that? So, It is by grace that you have been saved in the past with continuing result in the present. Wow. So your union with Christ, your union with his crucifixion that has saved you from your sins, your union with him in his resurrection, and all of this is typified through your baptism. You go into the water, you come out of the water, Paul talks about that in Romans six. Here it is. Your union with Christ is the big discovery of his grace. Amazing grace. By the way, there is no other kind of grace. God's grace is always amazing. Have you ever thought about the, the, the poignant stories that we find in the gospels where someone discovers the grace of God through Jesus. Maybe the woman caught in adultery and Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Or maybe Zacchaeus, this wretched sinner who's stealing money from people. I'm having lunch at your house today. Or maybe Peter, after he denied Jesus three times, Jesus says, come on, Peter, get back to work. And reinstates him through those three confessions of, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Those are moments of grace. And what is that grace that you have discovered through Jesus? You see, if you're just a little bit bad, then you're just got a little bit of grace. But if you discover, oh my gosh, I was the living dead. Children of wrath. And I have discovered grace. Here's the conclusion. He says in verse seven, in order that in the coming ages. So now he's taking us. So where does this go? What's the future of all this? He says in the coming ages. Isn't that beautiful? So uh, coming ages is like the first thousand years, the second thousand years, the third thousand years. I think the first thousand, I'm just going to stand there for a thousand years with my mouth wide open, staring at Jesus. (laughs) I can't believe I'm here. But age after age, as, as your new story unfolds, that he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. This is what John calls in his first chapter of the gospel of John, grace upon grace, just layer and layer riches of his grace that are expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Then he gives us this great verse that many of you have memorized. Verse eight, because it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
We're not going to be in heaven bragging about how we got there. I'm not going to be looking at your Twitter feed and see, or your Facebook account, seeing all the great things that you've written and done and accomplished. And wow, 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 wow. It's all going to be Jesus, 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 Jesus. And specifically about the grace, the undeserved love and favor that we have found, discovered, and continue to discover in him. And we discovered it by one thing, faith. We put our trust in him. We surrendered. We said, okay, I can't do it. I trust you. And that started us on our journey of discovering his undeserved love. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. That word, that Greek word poema is the term from which we get our English word poem. So he says, we are God's poem. We are his sculptor, his piece of sculpture piece of art, his workmanship, but it's created in Christ Jesus. Got to keep the identity right. And what is it? Well, we just don't sit on a shelf looking beautiful. We don't just hang on a wall like a beautiful painting. Our workmanship is to now be like God, where we do good things like God. Not that we're earning anything. Remember, it's not by works, but our poema, the beauty of our new creation is to now love and do good like God does. And these things God has prepared in advance uh, for us to do. Wow. 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 So here we are. This forever contrast is that he has for us here is not for yourselves, but from God, not of works, but of grace. No one can boast. It's all God. And so friends, mirror, mirror on the wall, you're looking in the wrong place. Look away from that mirror and look at Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at the resurrection. Look at the ascension. That's your identity, put your trust in him and watch yourself begin to bloom. Paul says from one degree of glory to the next. And one day the Bible says we will be like him for we will see him as he is. There's a beautiful ending as many of you know in the lion, the witch in the wardrobe. C.S. Lewis first Chronicles of Narnia book where Aslan, this type of that lion, that's a type of Christ bounds over the castle wall where the great witch has lived. And she's taken all of these wonderful uh, creatures of Narnia and she has turned them into stone and she's made them statues to be on display in her garden the living dead, statues, stones. And Aslan, as he comes into this garden of evil, he comes up to each statue and breathes his life. 
onto the, the statue and it becomes alive again. And that's what Jesus has done for you. What can you do? Be stunned forever at his love. Be stunned forever. And I guarantee you, you won't have to think of what good works you need to do to be kind and loving to other people. You will be so amazed that God unfroze you from being the living dead and made you alive that you will want to love others with the same way he has loved you. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have you drawn us. Lord, this grace, it's so profound. We realize, Lord, even as we study your word, we are just penguins dancing on an iceberg that we don't understand the depth of this love, this grace. But God, we want to know more and more and more of your love. And we, we turn from finding ourselves outside of Christ to finding ourselves in Christ. Lord, as we look at the cross, it tells us that we are now clean and forgiven we put our trust in the resurrection that tells us that we are raised to the true person. We are becoming the true person we are created to be and, and that we are now seated with Christ far above circumstances that have ruled us and, and terrified us that you have given us authority in our new identity. So thank you, Lord, for unpacking this mystery, the mystery of who we are in Jesus and making it clear that we have found ourselves in you and that it's all by grace. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may our great God of grace this God who loves you, this God who has created a redemption story that has your identity wrapped up in the son of God, Jesus Christ. May this great God and father bless you with grace today. May you begin to discover more and more his profound love for you and this new identity that is found not in yourself, but in Jesus. And may you discover that it's the true you, that you are emerging to become the person God has forever intended you to be. May that be your journey in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.